Hello and welcome to WWJT. What would Jesus tech? Would Jesus use ChatGPT? We only have a quick episode today because Joel is busy at work. We have had sickness. We have had kids sicknesses. We have had a whole bunch of different things that are going through our lives. So this is just going to be a quick episode. We got some really exciting guests coming up in future episodes. Joel, you work in AI. You build AI. Is this true? You always feel like you're behind in AI, but you use AI in your job, correct? Uh, yeah. So. I'm not directly an engineer, I'm a product manager. So I'm not directly building it and coding it, but we do have um, artificial intelligence embedded in the product we're working on. I think a lot of technology will be, how do you embed AI into it, right? And how will it kind of like be improved by integration? Not that it'll be a pure AI product like ChatGPT, but how do you integrate that into other products? And my pastor is already using it, not your product, but my pastor is already using AI when he responds to my email with this sounds good exclamation mark. I know he didn't write that. That's not his tone. That's not his style. But he clicked on that predictive text and said, how do you want to respond to this email? And instead of offering a more genuine response, perhaps that my pastor is great, um, he offered something like that. And so predictive text um, generative text, generative AI, which is different than other forms of AI. That is what chat GPT is. Um, I feel like everybody's heard of it. I talked to a doctor the other day who said that it recently passed some medical exam. And so all the doctors are talking about it. You know, lawyers are talking about it because the main job of a lawyer is to go through tons and tons of different cases and figure out what those cases say. That can be automated with AI. Li librarians are talking about it because, again, what ChatGPT offers is once you say, what does so-and-so author say about this? I asked it some questions about Herman Bovink and figuring out what Herman Bovink would say about technology, and it felt like I was talking to a scholar. Now, we can compare those in a future episode to an actual scholar who translates Herman Bovink herself. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's there's lots of worry um, a lot of fear, perhaps. Um, what are you feeling? Are you feeling excited or are you feeling fearful? I think I'm mostly excited. There are like moments where I'm free fearful when I think about like, okay, what happens 20 years in the future and kind of the whole sci-fi angle of it. And I think, um, well, just to kind of take a step back to what you mentioned with like the predictive text, a lot of AI or machine learning implementation in the past was like, okay, how do we embed a feature? That's a machine learning feature into the product. And that was like, yeah, simple, like, you know, deep learning, neural nets. And then chat GPT was this like large language models, LLMs. And mm -hmm. then um, that was very different. And Google actually had one, um, which they called the language model for dialogue applications, Lambda. And this was actually back in the summer. And a Google engineer got fired because he said, oh my gosh, like, this AI is aware. It's too good. I think, yeah, I think we mentioned it. So those applications are different because, yeah, like you said, you feel like it's more, it's more AI is the product, right? It's not AI as a feature. It's like AI is the product. Um, so that's like, yeah, very interesting. And I think that's cool because it's going to unlock a whole new realm of products where it's like yeah co-pilot and you know, we talked about this before but to your original question am i scared yeah 
I think like there's this whole concept if you read uh, deep into AI is like the singularity, which is like artificial general intelligence. And it's like, would AI ever get to a point where it actually is smarter than us? And the theory goes that like, that's the singularity. Uh, and if it gets to that point, we can't really predict what will happen after that because it's just like smarter than us. So we can't really like comprehend what it'll do. And that's but kind like of like smarter. God, right? You got to use that like with air quotes because it's not, it's only regurgitating thoughts that have already been produced and connecting those. Sure. But at, at baseline, it's, it's not creating brand new thoughts. Like it's not thinking in the way that we think, like, I know that you, we, you know, there is some comparatives, but at the end of the day, the AI doesn't have the ability to come up with something new per se. It's just regurgitating the inputs that it previously had, making connections, doing that more with more speed than what humans can do perhaps. And so it can seem as if it's quote unquote smarter than us, but I don't know if it's fair to say that it won't feel right. Like it's funny, chat GPT, like it says, I'm sorry. If you like accuse it of making a mistake, then you're like, why are you saying I'm sorry? Do you feel things? And ChatGPT responds like, "No, I am a, <laughs> I am a artificial thing. This is what my coders taught me to do." So I, I, I don't know. It's, it's so, I mean, okay. So, like on this quote unquote smarter, there's like faster. Let's say that's one aspect of smarter. We know that our neurons are electrochemical, so they're slow, and then neurons in a computer are just like pure circuits, so they're really fast. So in that aspect, I think it's like pretty clear what we're talking about. But when we're talking about like novel thought for smarter, it's interesting because how do we as humans define what is a new thought, right? Everything we do is actually kind of inspired by our interactions and our upbringing and like what we learn. So like even the um, Renaissance artists when they like made impressionist drawings where they're like using that different drawing style, it was new, but it was kind of based on like some things that they had learned along the way in their schooling. And they said, Hey, like, I'm going to try this and see how this looks. So there's going to be quote unquote new stuff that an AI can say, Hey, I've learned this. I'm going to try doing a random thing and combining it with what I learned. And now that's new, right? It's just like, combine a random neuron with your existing neurons and that's a new neural pathway. So yeah, I think like new is actually something that AI can do. I don't think it's, it's bias a hundred percent. It's bias from us, but I wouldn't say like, like even like the essays that it writes, um, you put it into turnitin.com and there's like 0% plagiarism. It's because it's quote unquote new. It's like a completely new thing. Right. Right. So which is just scary for professors and teachers. They've already started to try to figure that out. You you said that it was biased there. I was thinking you were going in a direction of like, like one of the things that people have started to do is ask it questions that are very controversial. And then you end up with these responses that it's like, we do not respond to questions like that. And it clearly right now is presenting a left-wing bias, you know, in, in a Democrat 
sort of posture where it doesn't say positive things about Donald Trump, but it would say positive things about Joe. It will just refuse to say positive things about Donald Trump. Like, it's like, no, like, (laughs) absolutely not. It's like, but what if I'm a Republican? Can you sweeten me up with at least one or two positive things that he did? And it's like, no, we like, it just responds in that way. And I think that's, that is something that the tool has because there's no such thing as like a neutral technology. It is going to be leaning in one direction or the other. Um, so, so it's, it is revolutionary. I will give you that. And I think, you know, chatting with it and interacting with it more and just seeing all of these different things happen. I think we went through different revolutions up to this point, whether that be the printing press, and then whether you think about the industrial revolution, and then you think about the digital revolution being its own thing unto itself. And this is separate. This is like a new revolution of AI. Yeah, it's like computing revolution or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's doing something. And I agree with that. Um, and like it can provide value. But it's it's limited right now. Like I asked it to give me Bible verses on complaint. You know, like is it good to complain? Should I complain? And it tells me no, absolutely not. Don't complain, <laughs> right? And here are Bible verses, and there are Bible verses that say do not grumble, and it, and it gave me accurate references from Scripture. And then I say, you know, can I lament? Is it good to lament? And it's like, oh, it's so good to lament. You know, here are Bible verses that support lament, and of course, there's Bible verses that say that. But what I'm why I'm bringing that up as an example is that it's not pastoral. It doesn't, it doesn't read between the lines in order to understand at least yet that an individual who brings up the subject of complaining might actually need to lament as opposed to just be told not to complain. And yeah. yeah, So it's, it's, it's lacking some of the nuance that a real human has but just like Google is a way to get answers to spiritual questions and lots of people use it, I use it in my sermon prep right now when I prep sermons. I use Google to be like, oh, what's that Bible verse that references this? And then Google will give it to me. And then I'll do more research. And I can see chat GPT being helpful for that and being like, what about this? And then it'll give you the answer. But it paraphrases, it never quotes, and it never attributes the reference, which is really frustrating as mm, opposed to citing. And that's, you know, Bing has started to introduce it in their search engine. And I think that's a huge limitation right now is it's a paraphrase, not a quote. Very interesting. And quotes would be better. Yeah. And I think like, you know, on the concept of bias that we just mentioned, it's like, it has learned based on what we as humans have told it. And I was kind of talking to someone else about this. It's like, it's not morally pure. It has like, we, we impute our like fallen nature into hmm. chat GPT. So it is in like our a, image. It's in our yeah, image. It's made in our image, which is a fallen image. Right. Um, and so that's like really interesting to think about because we may put it on this pedestal and of like, you know, being an idol or something that we view as like better than us, but it really is like an extension of us. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be like super useful really for those like co-pilot type conversations that you were talking about right now, because it isn't at the level of a computer. Like you said, it can't read between the lines for like pastoral care and stuff right now. And we keep saying like right now, because it's like, Hey, when you change, so yeah, the concept of the singularity, there's um, 
Ray Kurzweil, he wrote the, the book, The Singularity is Near. And that predicts that the singularity will happen in 2050. So we have, you know, let's say 25-ish years till he believed that AI will be at least at the same level as humans, where it will be able to do that discernment and it will be able to like have feeling in the sense that like you give it um you give it the sense of touch, let's say. So we have five senses. You can give right now it just has a sense of like, I don't know, if you plug a camera, sight, and then it has mm-hmm. like connected to a, a network. But now let's say you connect touch to it, like if it's a robot, and now it can feel hot and cold and it can feel pain, right? Now we're saying feeling pain in a like physical sense, right? Of like it's feeling like pain from a physical sense, the way we feel pain from a physical sense. But then how how does it eventually make that transition between physical pain and emotional pain? And I don't think it's like impossible, right? And that's the whole concept of the singularity is like, oh, when does it replicate our body and the way we interact with the neuro neurons in like a mechanical way? But this is where like Jason Thacker talks about this in his book. Uh, following Jesus in a digital age about responsibility. And one aspect of being made in the image of God, rather than the image of you and me, is that you bear responsibility for your actions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as Calvinists, we can we can really work through this in a lot more detail than someone who who might be more Pelagian and thinks that people are naturally good. Because Calvinists have to wrestle with this idea of God being sovereign with human agency. Um, so Don Carson, he's talked about it before, compatibilism. Um, we'll link to like a a lecture he did in the show notes on it. But basically, you like have to hold these two things together, human responsibility and God's sovereignty. Humans are responsible for their action. We are we are totally depraved. So we have this fallen nature. We are biased in what we produce. And yet man sins willingly. It, it's, it's out of necessity that man sins because he has a fallen nature. It's necessary that he's just going to sin because he's totally depraved. And yet there's still agency on his part. There is still, there's not compulsion to use another, a different word. It's, it's not compulsory for us to sin, but it, but it does happen necessarily. And this was a distinction that Calvin actually made himself. Uh, for Calvin, it does not follow from the denial of free will that what a person chooses is the result of coercion. That's a, a direct quote from Paul Helm, who articulates this in a book. Coercion negates responsibility, but necessity is consistent with being held responsible. So we we sin necessarily because we're totally depraved, but we don't we don't actually sin because of this coercive force that takes away our agency. We sin willingly. And so I think about the AI and I'm like, it doesn't have that nuanced, like, it doesn't, it doesn't have that responsibility. Anyways, Joel, you got to go. You're busy. I'm busy. We're going to come back to this in the future. Any final thoughts? Yeah, no, I think it's interesting, especially because um, stuff is happening right now in the world. I think it's valuable for us to be like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, we're going to squeeze the time to talk about this and help continue the conversation. Um, and we can definitely go into like all the details of like, how does learning happen in children and how does it happen in AI and all of those things? And Cause I think that is interesting for us to wrestle with those thoughts. Like I agree with you on like the AI doesn't bear responsibility 
Um, I do agree with you, but I think you have to come at that from a first principles level of like, how does AI learn? And like, you know, it doesn't have a spirit or a soul and like, but what does it have? Right. It has intellect. It has a body. Right. So yeah, it's very, very, very cool and fun from one point of view and um, perplexing and potentially even scary from another. So. Well, and it's interesting, Joel, going back to that, you know, distinction between body, soul, mind is that the human body and or the human person is not so clearly distinguished between those. Um, so this is something that I learned in my kinesiology degree, actually, in fourth year is that like the way that you walk is not simply your brain triggering information down to your body in order to take steps. You actually have different parts of your body, physical parts, the like within your ear and even within your spinal cord or within your um, lower extremities as well, that cause you to, yes, feel, but also respond to sensations with certain things that that helps your gait, helps your walking ability. And, you know, Aquinas, he wrote about a thousand years ago, and he talked about this tiered uh, understanding of how the human works, that there are these um, emotions that we have on one level. There's almost this animalistic, natural level that we have that is more like the cravings that we might have. And then there's a higher level of our person that is different than the natural that that is supposed to be more logical and orders the rest. Um, and this, this is unpacked in detail in the book, The Logic of the Body. Um, it's, by, it's by the publisher Lexham Press. And basically, you 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 got to have a Christian understanding of the body is that it, it is all together. It is all one. You can't you can't separate off the mind from the body. And what we learn in science is in agreement with Aquinas. It's true. Like this this mind body combination. Just like I was saying with kinesiology, you can talk about it with neuroplasticity. There's been a lot of research on like it's similar to like you are what you love. This idea that your body and what you do, your gestures impact your nature um, and impact your thinking, and vice versa. Um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy has talked about this. This interconnection between emotion, this feeling of hunger, feeling of loneliness, and how your thinking can impact the feeling and how your bodily behaviors from like just going for a walk can impact your feeling again or thinking. And so all of these things are intertwined in humanity. And you just don't get that with AI. You don't get that kind of thing. And I know you're saying the singularity, they'll have more pain or things like that. But I don't think you'll get ever, ever get the complexity that we have in humanity. Anyways, that's that's a lot. We 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 crammed a lot into this quick little episode. Um thanks for listening. If you want to uh, support us, um, check out other episodes, check out our website. We just launched a website, what would Jesus Um and so you can uh check us out there. We're 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 kind of still in the making of it. We're going to add more things to it. Hope, hopefully we'll have an episode database soon enough. Um, and yeah, keep keep in touch because we have a very exciting set of um, episodes ahead. Um, so we have a few different guests. I won't spoil it now, but we're going to go deeper into what does it mean to imitate Christ according to the Reformed tradition? What does it mean to think about tech as good? 
that technology is under the, the sovereignty of God. What does it mean to be human is just an ongoing question that we have to answer in the 21st century. So, so thank you for listening. We are encouraging you at What Would Jesus Tech to use tech to find rest and to glorify God. Thanks for listening. Take care.